Love getting your Legend of the Five Rings podcast fix? Head to patreon.com slash strangeassembly to find out how you can support the show. This is Strange Assembly episode 174, Making Magic... Legend of the Five Rings. Yeah, that's right. Legend of the Five Rings this time. I'm Chris Stevenson, and you're listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. We're here today to talk about the process of making Legend of the Five Rings. And if you have listened to or read Mark Rosewater's material, I, I have too. And I, I think that he provides a lot of valuable insight into how Magic the Gathering is made, which I really is the only other comparable product out there on the market as far as terms of longevity to Legend of the Five Rings. So... I thought that it would be valuable for people to be able to hear that about L5R. So we have here today Brian Reese, the lead designer for Legend of the Five Rings. Hello, everybody. Thanks for having me on, Chris. Hey, Brian. All right, now, I know you don't have 20 years as a Legend of the Five Rings designer like Maro can uh, can claim for Magic, but you've, you've been at this more than a week or so, right? Yeah. Uh, actually, July marks my eighth anniversary. I was hired in July 2007, so this is eight years now that I've been the lead designer. A year before that, as a player design team member. Were you taking over but something like Middle of Lotus, End of Lotus? Samurai was your baby, right? Uh, basically, yeah. The first When I was a player design team member, I started up with uh, Cons Defiance, which was the start of the dual bugging into Samurai Edition. So that's End of Lotus, technically, but that's basically where Samurai started. And then partway through Samurai Edition... I want to say it was the tail end of Honor's Veil that I took over. Like, I, th- I don't think that I, uh, I think I was a player design team member for most of Honor's Veil and then took it over at, at the end. Yes, it was Honor's Veil. Uh, I remember because Famous Bazaar was one of the first cards that I did as a uh, lead designer. And that was done very much near the end of the process. <laughs> well, that one's had some longevity to it, I think. Yeah, I mean, as far as I can put, uh, you know, first card to my name i'll I'll take it (laughs) Uh, and i often liked to call samurai arc the beginning of the what modern era of design i guess i've now switched to i don't know if ivory that makes ivory and onward the contemporary era of design or something postmodern but yeah (laughs) i i don't know i'd I'd have to look up more art styles to have something more uh, pertinent than that but so i guess now that you guys are designing sort of in two-year chunks, sort of, in a lot of ways, at least as I think of it, in one year, um, I'm going to call them blocks. I, I know I'm okay. stealing that term from Magic, but I don't have another another phrase to use. So in, in one-year blocks, each year you have two completely different side sensei-based themes. So what is the process that you guys go through now on that high level for figuring out what each of the clans is going to be doing over that one- or two-year time frame? Yeah, as you mentioned, we sort of design in both one- and two-year increments. You know, we have some interesting uh, challenges, and I don't want to be cliche here, but opportunities in the way that we design L5R, the fact that it's a story first and we design based on the story. So story still maps stuff out in, in two years, tends to map them out in two years. You know, more recently, we've been getting a lot more player input on what they want on that with the path choices. 
And so basically we take what the story does in the case of the path choices. We'll also be taken in, obviously, the path choices are going to be directing what the story does. And we find out, okay, this is what we want to, you know, over the two years, we don't have the stuff super mapped out, but we have a skeleton, right? Like the basic theme of 2012 is this and 2013 is that. I used old dates intentionally <laughs> to not try to confuse with anything we're currently doing. Right. So it's a, okay. So the basic theme of year one is this, of year two is that. That's fantastic. So then we start looking. It's like, okay, we're going to be doing this and this. How would the clans individually be dealing with this theme? So, you know, let's take uh, Celestial Edition. You know, the first, certainly the second year of Celestial Edition was all about the Destroyer War, right? So that would have been a, the theme of that might have been like a fighting, just a wartime period, basically. Where, like, the first year of Ivory Edition was much more of a, a peacetime stuff. There wasn't, there wasn't the bad juju going down. It was, it was more about, um, the brothers and who's going to be the successor to Aleka. So we, we take these basic themes of what we got and we're like, okay, so what aspects would we feature here? Like, does it make sense that these aspects of the clans, your Jimbos where you need protectors, do they make more sense in the year where we're doing wartime? Certainly commanders would make more sense there, and commanders would make less sense in a time period where we just had with Ivory, with 2014, where it was about succession, right? Um, uh, where we had very few commander stuff, right? So we, so we try to match up the themes to the best of our ability, so they go through and they feel honest to what that year is talking about. And we map it out in two years, right? So we say, okay, this year we're going to be doing this, this year we're going to be doing that. So we'll take the crab stuff and we'll say, okay, first, what themes do we want to explore? Uh, we always want to try to give uh, new styles to people. So in the case of crab, right, we, now with 20 festivals, we have the Cooney Witch Hunters, which the Cooney, uh, you know, the Cooney Shigenja military deck has always been something that's sort of been around, but never specifically focused on. And, you know, 20 years later, it seemed like it was time for them to finally get their time in the sun. Right. So we always want to try to, to keep things fresh, to keep them to keep them new, to keep them exciting, so players feel like they're still playing the clans that they've played and they love, but they have new ways of exploring that clans and new decks to uh, try and and see, uh, you know, what you might find interesting. Because uh, Crab, you know, can discover all these blue cards now that have existed for Phoenix and Mantis and you know, so many of these other clans for so long. So we take that, we try to fit them into the themes, and then uh, then once we have that, then we get the extra the extra challenge of trying to get draft to be as thematic as we can. And that we try to get draft to have the best play experience that we can. So, you know, what we found is pretty interesting is if you have three clans that all sort of draft similarly to each other, obviously we're not talking about playing the exact same, but, you know, taking 20 festivals as an example... Uh, you have magistrates in crane, you have magistrates in dragon, and you have magistrates in unicorn, right? So those three are in the similar thing with the magistrates. And then when you draft crane, you see how crane does magistrates, dragon, and unicorn. They do their respective plan magistrates, right? And that way, when you go when you go to draft, you're not locked into if you only have two clans. Like if you only had dragon and spider are the only two clans doing kensai, like was in ivory the first year. If you want to do Kensai, you could pull from, depending on the set, you could pull from a few other 
few other clans, but for the most part, you were basically, if you wanted to try to do a Kensai, you were doing Dragon Spider, those were your only options. Somebody else was drafting Dragon or Spider at the table, then you were going to have a rough time with it. So we try to keep draft options open, right? So we, we take all these needs, uh, the needs of the mechanics, the needs of the players, the needs of the story, the needs of the draft, and we put them together in two-year blocks and then divide them out divide them out into year one, year two. And then we focus heavily on the year one themes and year one and the year two themes and year two. And that way there's a constant fresh rotation going through that players can, uh, can play their clans. All right. So you, you're sitting there, you've got your, your one, your plan for this year. You've got your plan for next year. You know what those are going to be. But you have to sit down and design an, an individual set. I know base sets are going to present their own challenges, but for just a, a typical set, how do you go from a blank card file to, uh, well, let's just start at the beginning. How, how, you start with the blank, you have a blank card file. How do you begin to fill that up? Yeah. So, so once we figure out where we want to be, what, what we want to have, the different decks that we are specifically aiming for for each of the clans, then we fill out a template, nothing exciting, just an Excel sheet. And it says, you know, here's the 150 plus cards that are going to be in the set. We're going to have four of these B events. We're going to have, I'm just making numbers up here, but 20 B holdings, six personalities per clan. We fill them all up. And then we say, okay, of the holdings, because holdings now certainly we, we try to do the theme approach so you can build your holding structure around a keyword. We say, okay, and you know, these X number of slots are going to go to a holding scheme specifically. So, you know, whatever keyword we decide to aim on, we say, okay, you know, these are going to be mines, the set, or, you know, maybe another set. These are going to be farms or whatever. Then we have the personalities. We break down the personalities again to assign. Uh, every clan gets the same assignment levels at this point. And what I mean by that is uh, two personalities specifically for for their theme one, two personalities for their theme two, and then they get two personalities that are more just sort of general. Maybe they explore different aspects of uh, the clans. We still have the main overall clan focus, right? So let's say in case of Dragon, we might put a guy in there that uh, specifically deals with rings because manipulating and, and getting the most value out of your rings is something that Dragon does just at a clan level. And I think there actually might be a little bit misconception here that uh, some people will look at their card and say, hey, these are so unfocused. Look at this other clan. They've got so much more focus. Everybody has the same basic structure. It obviously depends on which clan you are, on what keywords you're getting, right? Whether you're getting scouts or commanders or monks or magistrates or whatever. But the same base structure, two for theme one, two for theme two, and then two for to explore the rest of the clan, to, you know, generic, for lack of a better term, people there that don't fit into either theme one or theme two. So every clan clan gets that. So once we have what the year's going to be, we set that up. Then we basically just do the same, similar process in, on the fate side. You know, we get into how many followers are we going to want in each set? Well, are we exploring commanders, or are we exploring scouts, or are we exploring follower-heavy decks? If in that year... We don't have any commanders, let's say. There's going to be fewer followers in each set. But let's say we're doing Kensai that year. Uh, well, there's going to be a greater number of weapons. And maybe on the following year, there'll be fewer commanders, but more Kensai, so there'll be more followers and less weapons. The same formula goes for Shigenja and spells. 
you know, how many Shigenja are we doing? Okay. That way, if you want to play follower decks, if you want to play weapon decks, if you want to play spell decks, you have options. And the option ratio roughly equates to how deeply we are exploring that particular mechanic for that year. So 20 festivals has a lot more spells in each set. Actually, I'm not sure a lot more. Maybe three or four more spells. But a significant number more spells in each set because there are quite a few more Shigenja-based themes in the 20 festivals year in 2015 than there were in 2014. Uh, and then we go on to the strategies. And in the strategies, we have basic templates. Uh, not templates. Basic um, outlines of what we want the cards to do, right? So let's say we're exploring Yojimbo. It's like, okay, well, we need to make sure every set has a couple Yojimbo cards. Uh, we're exploring Commanders. We've got a couple Commander cards. Samurais, Ninjas, so on and so forth. Uh, we make sure that every set has some basic draft requirements because draft adds its own sort of unique thing into this in that draft needs something self-contained into every single set. So draft needs some way to counter the Imperial favor, for example, in every single set. The fact that test of courage or back to the front or fill in your thing was around in the base set is not going to be good enough for draft when you get in the second set. They need something in that set for countering the favor. Uh, you know, straighten cards, you know, just some, just some sort of basics have to be repeated every single set. And they can often be combined uh, with other cards, right? So like, you know, something to counter the favor might be a moving card that gets you a kicker if you're moving in a scout or something. That both counters the favor, and that would be a scout card, right? So there's there's ways to uh, duplicate these, uh, or excuse me, combine these into one card, right? So we so we have a basic template. So at the end of this Excel spreadsheet, we have this basic template of what every expansion is going to look like at a very basic fundamental level. And then we rigorously go over this and check it, make sure we haven't left anything out, make sure we haven't left anything behind. If we discover anything that we've done that we've missed along the way or that maybe, maybe not necessarily that we've missed, but we didn't properly account for, like, uh, you know, say maybe, well, in draft, we're having a difficult time with this. So we need, you know, we also need a card in every set that gets you an opposed force bonus or something. This is something I completely make up, right? You know, we can adjust that sheet along the way, but that, but we have that basic Excel sheet as a template for every single set for that year. So at that point now, we've got the template of what each of the clans look like for year one, and then now, and year two, uh, and then now, in this case, in year one, what that Excel sheet looks like for every expansion. And that way, Nothing gets missed. Nothing gets forgotten. We don't get into the third expansion and say, "Oh shoot, we forgot. We forgot to design you Jimbo cards this time, or <laughs> what?" Right? Yeah. Right. Certainly, uh, those of us who were playing back in some of the older days of uh, the Diamonds or the Lotus, we could certainly remember where, when a clan got a new theme, the entire clan was devoted to that new theme, and sort of the old stuff was forgotten. Right. So, like. I think it was Web Allies when Unicorn first got their region theme. And so every single Unicorn personality that set all dealt with regions. Yeah, that went well. Yeah, obviously that, that has its own <laughs> its own baggage being what, what that happened in the mechanics, right? But like every other Unicorn theme that was built up till then was just completely dropped. So we set out this Excel sheet to do this so we don't completely drop. Because there were plenty of Unicorn players, I'm sure, at that time who were very much enjoying the Unicorn decks that they had at that time. And then Web of Lies came along. It's like, I didn't get anything else 
from this set, right? All my other unicorn themes were completely dropped. And so, yeah, with this template, you know, we make sure that nothing gets dropped, nothing gets forgotten, and that it stays consistent throughout the year. Yeah, that was something that I, I mean, it's obviously the details and that it's year at a time change different, but that's one of the things that I thought was noteworthy once you got into that sort of modern era of design was that there seemed to be much more advanced planning and continuity because you used an example there with unicorns and regions that ended up being overpowered, but there were also examples that were terrible from a power level point of view, and not only would they wipe out what came before them, but then they would basically go away. You'd be like, here, Phoenix, it's a blood token or whatever that was. Right. Theme, yeah. and you get it for this one expansion, and it's going to be terrible, and you're just never going to see another card for it again. <laughs> yeah, and I mean that's, and I mean that's the that's the the second side that that's bad on that, right? Let's say you come out with something that you enjoy, and you're like, okay, I am a Phoenix player. I love my blood speakers. Web allies once again. I got my <laughs> blood speaker stuff. Awesome. Let's do this. And then you move forward, and design has moved on to designing a different aspect of the clan. It's like, well, what happened to my support for my blood speakers? So, yeah, so we really try hard to make sure that throughout that year, it's consistent. To make sure that you continue to get support for the for the uh, decks that you've had and the decks that are coming coming along. And we try to make sure with the generic slots, and we, we definitely keep every, every set, every card type, so events and holdings and personalities or whatever, uh, we keep plenty of slots open just for what we call them as designer's choice. And basically the idea of those slots is to add variety, right? So not something that's strictly tied into, okay, this is a Calvary card, or this is a card for countering the favor or whatever. This is whatever the designer can can think of, whatever they feel that the environment needs at the time, whatever he or she thinks needs to happen or would be interesting or would sort of give players an interesting tool or card that they could build a deck around or, you know, something along those lines that might not fit into the conventional themes that we do that year. So I often describe it as an art and science balance uh, when we're doing the design. And the science is obviously the strict, okay, got to make sure that we have these cards and, you know, we're going off this base template to make sure every single set throughout the year and that none of that's forgotten. And then the art of it comes in with the, with, uh, built into these, uh, these templates is there's freedom for the designers to be, to be designers and to be interesting and to explore, explore whatever space that they feel, uh, they should be exploring. Alright, so you, for any given set, you have your skeleton there, your Excel spreadsheet, but you're, you're at that set and you need to, to, to flesh that out, you need to go from two Yojimbo strategies, a Tomori commander, and a Kayao siege personality to you know actual cards embodied in the set. Cards potentially dictates coming in from the story brand side of what needs to be featured, your own ideas that you have bubbling up. How do you go about going from entries in an Excel spreadsheet to actual cards? Yes, uh, so actually some interesting thing has changed here, uh, starting with Onyx Edition. So when I took over the process back in 2007, I basically just took over what I knew and started using that system. And then as I found ways that I thought I could improve it, such as these templates, because uh, that's a real, you know, that's new since then. You know, these types of things as I could improve it. 
uh, we've been doing improvement and uh, I don't want to take all the, the credit. I probably shouldn't even take the majority of the credit because as we've had the various design team members come through or play testers, uh, they come through and they say, hey, you know, I think the system could be improved at this level or at this level, right? Uh, we've implemented those improvements. So one thing we've always done is every set when it came time to start actually designing it, we said, okay, members of the design team, what clans would you like to design this set? We felt it would add interesting variety because everybody sort of designs from their own place. Um, you know, this design team may member may be much more focused on story. This one may be much more focused on mechanics, etc. We felt that it, getting everybody, letting everybody touch all the clans, more or less, uh, would really make it interesting. What we have found over the years is while that can be true, and that oftentimes is, is true, another thing that can, uh, another side effect of that can be is that the clans will sometimes feel disjointed or a particular theme will feel disjointed. And I'll take full responsibility for that. You know, it should be my job to make sure to be overlooking and I do this the best that I can. But I certainly don't do a great job all the time, and Susumu, I think, would probably be a good example of this in, in Ivory Edition, right? We started out, that was a point, uh, an example of where multiple designers touched the Susumu theme, and I think they all sort of brought their own individual neat things to it, but the clout mechanic, which was their core mechanic, because that's what the sensei dealt with, I thought was really cool, wasn't really explored either before or after the sensei. And, you know, that would be an example where everybody coming together and sort of touching and doing their own unique thing. And then, you know, I dropped the ball on the Susumu of, of overlooking it and making sure that it's all a coherent thing. You know, it's I do my best. It's a bit difficult with 36 different themes going over this two-year time period. Not to excuse myself, but I'm just saying, uh, you know, I do drop the ball from time to time. So I think Susumu would be a good example of a, a case where all the designers brought their input. So with Onyx Edition, get back to where I started here, what we decided to do is assign the PDT members as clan champions. So we have five different PDT members. Each one has two clan champions, and uh, one PDT member is taking on the role of unaligned draft, sort of. They're also handling uh, Mantis along with their regular stuff. And so everybody has two clans, and they are in charge of that clan, and we all take a look at their thoughts, right? So they brought their proposal. They say, you know, I think that my clan should do this. I think that the first theme should do this. I think that the second theme should do this. This is what I'm going to be focusing on mechanically. What do we all think, right? So we, we repeated that process till we came to something that we all felt good on for each of the clans, and then that clan champion is going to be solely focused on those two clans throughout the entire year. This is a new thing. I don't know if we're going to switch up clan champions in the second year, whether we'll, we'll keep it for the full two years or what. But the goal of this is to make sure that things are less dig disjointed, right? So if we'd had this in the case of the Susumu, the spider designer could say, okay, I want the Susumu to deal with clout tokens. I think this could be an interesting thing. It shows how the Susumu are super loved in court because they're just so nice, so overly friendly, <laughs> uh, right? <laughs> um, that would be one way to do it, yes, I guess. <laughs> right? uh. Yeah, uh, right. And so, you know, I so I want to do, I think it's thematic, and I want to deal with these clout tokens. And so, you know, once we all agree and we think that's a good way to go, 
They need to make sure that that designer, I mean, knows in their head, it's like, okay, this is what I'm doing, and every single set I'm going to do this on, and I know what I've done before, so I know how to improve upon it. And I'm very, very happy with the Clan Champion system so far. We're wrapping up Onyx Edition as we record this. We're in the final weeks of it. And, then, and we're in the first expansion after Onyx Edition. And so these clan champions uh, have been doing this role, and it's really good. It's also been very good, I think, for the playtesters. Because the playtesters, now instead of sort of speaking into the ether and waiting for a design team member to come back and respond, they have an assigned clan champion, right? So let's say I'm a playtester, and my favorite clan is Crab. While playtesters stay as neutral as they can, everybody has their favorite clan, and they know what they, they feel is best. Or let's just say they're playtesting Crab, right? Let's, let's, not, let's not even say that it's their favorite clan. Let's just say they're playtesting Crab, right? They can come back and say, Crab clan champion, I've been playtesting this stuff. I don't like these aspects. What are your thoughts? And they will have assigned clan champions that they can communicate with and they and uh, and go back and forth with. Hopefully this makes sure all the playtesters know that they are being listened to and that there are there is always a member of the design team that is specifically assigned to them so no one ever feels like their opinions just going out into the, the void and not being heard. I think this is going to be great on the design level. I think the playtesters have been very happy with the system. They seem to be pretty excited about it. Having a, a person that they can directly communicate with that's in charge of their clan and they know, okay, it's going to be this person and I can always ping this person and it's been great. Uh, and then the design team members seem to be taking it up very well. You know, we, we all have our favorite clans and then oftentimes we might have a secondary clan or whatever. And design team members are going out and saying, okay, what can I do to make sure that the crane are feeling the most crane that they can? My job is to make sure that the crane are as competitive as they can be and they feel as most crane as they can be. And then this other design team member over here is like, okay, you know, I've got, uh, you know, whatever. I've got uh, Naga because that's, that's a new one. I need to make sure that the Naga is as mechanically competitive as they can be and, and feels as Naga as they can be. And that is, you know, one of their few goals and very uh, narrow focus. And then that allows me to be in the position of just trying to oversee everything and saying, like, okay, you're doing a great job here, but, you know, look at these win percentages. They're a little bit too high. Or these win percentages, these are a little bit too low. Or I see what you're wanting to do here with the crab, and it looks fantastic. Do you think it's venturing into spider territory at all, right? So we're overseer manager, and I'm very excited about this new system. I think it is working out really well on, on basically all levels. Okay. Now, you mentioned the playtesting system in there, and I, I want to ask you about that. But first, I wanted to to go into the a little bit more of like an individual card design process with the champions or otherwise. Do you guys have meetings where people spitball? Do people get homework to go... Okay, everybody go design two Yojimbo strategies and let's see what we've got to, to work with. Or somebody comes in and says, hey, we need you to, to, to make a card for Kenpeki goes all Jigoku and, and Rampagey. So make something for that. What process do you use to come up with the, the initial ideas for those cards that you're then going to be giving to the playtesters? Yes, yeah, uh, sort of a combination of everything there. So since we are a story-based game, the first thing that happens is 
story comes to us and says, okay, these are the bullet points during this expansion of what's going to happen. X is going to happen, Y is going to happen, Z is going to happen. These are the big things. Here's each of the breakdown of each of the clans, and here's how they're dealing with X, Y, Z, or whatever individual thing their clan might be doing, right? The basic, broad bullet points of what's uh, going on for those three months, how the clans are interacting with it. Right, so we take that, and all the design team members read it and say, okay, you know, this is what's happening here. Uh, let's pull out any relevant pieces of information that we feel that uh, need to make it into card form. Right, so we say uh, Kalima is going to have a fight with Fulang or whatever. Say, so, okay, well, that needs to be in a card. Right, <laughs> so we'll say that'll be an event or a strategy or whatever. And we'll say, you know, this is the Kalima versus Fulang battle. So that event now, or that strategy or whatever we determine, that is now narrowed down a little bit more to where we know that now, that now needs to represent that thing happening in the story. And this happens at all, at all levels, right? There could be some really big mantis and crane, um, economic trade that was happening or something, right? Maybe that makes it into the case of a holding or something, right? This can happen at all levels. Certainly, it obviously happens at the at the clan level, the personalities, right? So we take all this story and we and we put it in there. Then we take uh, the storyline needs from tournament results. Uh, we say, okay, well, now we've got this. Now we're going to take the tournament results and we see player A won with this, player B, player C, whatever. Uh, we need to have these different personalities, these different cards that work that come from the storyline. With you know, we put those into the Excel sheet. Obviously, at this point, we're dealing with the Excel sheet just for this one expansion, not for the entire year, uh, right? So we've taken that base template. We said, okay, we're going to take that. We're going to now make a template for expansion one off that, and we're fleshing it out with the story needs, the storyline needs. Then we uh, will often talk with the playtesters and say, okay, playtesters, we're getting ready to design this. What do you guys think we need? What do you think that we're missing, right? So then we get the feedback and we talk to them about what they think we need. We take our own input on what we think we need. Then we combine with input that, you know, maybe the events team says, okay, we want to be running this event during that time period to make sure that these cards are in there, et cetera, et cetera. So we do that and we flesh out that Excel document. So at this point we have themes of the cards, not necessarily mechanics, but just themes of the cards. They're all divvied up between the different designers based on that clan champion thing that I was talking about. Then we say, okay, it is time for design to go in and do their stuff. And so we say, okay, design team members, go design your cards, right? You're all assigned various cards based on what you're the claim champion of, and then based on other other criterias, uh, we all have our assignments. We all design our own individual cards. So we go through and we look at if there's any needs of that card, right? So if it says, okay, well, this one is Kalima versus Wuleg, you know, this isn't going to be an event about better using the Imperial Favor. Uh, right? This is going to need to be. This is going to need to be thematic of, uh, to the card. So then we go through and we design that part. This is definitely where some of the art of designing comes in, because at this point we're like, okay, this is the theme that I need. How can I best translate this into mechanics that's both honest to what the card is supposed to be, but mechanically viable, that it fulfills the role that it needs to fulfill in a game. As so, th- so this process. Happens once every few months. Uh, you know, we have we have four sets a year. We design them four times a year. It's not any really much more complicated than that. But we will have plenty of design thoughts 
in between. We'll just be driving along one day and we're like, wow, that would, that would be a really cool card, right? So we have just random idea repositories where we put our ideas just said, hey, you know, we're not designing a set right now, but you know, I think this would make a really cool crane, or I think this would make a really cool event, or this would make a really cool holding, or whatever. So when we're designing our cards, we're pulling our ideas that we that we come with. We also have these repositories. You know, we're constantly getting card suggestions from players. We'll take a look at those as well, and then we basically come up with what we think is is cool, interesting, will be fun, whatever it is that we're looking to do with with that particular card. Then we take all of our designs and we say, okay, fellow design team members, here are the cards I designed. What are your thoughts? Then we all go through each other's designs and we take a look at them and say, hey, this is a really cool one. And, you know, hey, this is kind of neat, but I think you might have missed the mark here. Or, hey, this is way super busted. There's no way that this is going to make it. Right? So we all sort of give our input and then we revise, refine, revise, refine, revise, refine. Until we think we get to a part, excuse me, a set that we are happy to send on to uh, to our playtesters, and then from there, then playtest takes over, which is basically just many more weeks of revise, refine, revise, refine, revise, refine, just with actual testing of the cars as opposed to uh, what we're doing in the design stage, which is some testing, but mostly theory crafting, right? If that makes sense. That does make sense. So what? What is the the playtesting process? Right, play games, report results, refine cards. But I know you guys, at least I think you guys have a a more organized system than just sort of cut loose players. Yeah. So playtesters, we are trying several several different ideas. Up until recently, we we spent a few expansions where we said, okay. Teams, what what clans would you like to play test? And then we put the teams in charge of a few clans each. And we said, okay, you know, you said that you want to test these clans. Those are the clans that you're testing exclusively. Deal on that. And then we obviously make sure that all the clans are getting the same amount of testing. There's the proper overlap. So even if you're testing this section of clans, so you're only getting games in with each other, another team is going to be testing a couple of those clans with a couple other clans or what have you, to make sure that all the clans are getting tested all together or whatever, but allowed them to focus fire. I feel that this went well, but we recently changed over our playtesting method, so we are going back to a method where all clans can just play, or all, excuse me, all teams can just playtest all the clans. And we're going to see how that goes. With our new playtesting method, we're purely doing it online with Sun and Moon. Back in the old days when you, well, by old days, I mean up until just an expansion ago. Um, <laughs> you had to spend a decent amount of time building a playtest deck, and then you had to print out all the proxies from the various PDFs that you have, cut out little slips of paper, and put them together to playtest your deck. And this might not sound like a lot, but it, it, was, it took multiple hours every week to get one or two decks ready to go for playtest. Now we're playtesting purely in a digital format, not having to cut out those pieces of, pro- uh, pieces of paper and proxy them up anymore saves a vast amount of time building playtest decks these days. So it's more more time dedicated to the actual testing of cards. It's been phenomenal so far doing this. Uh, just everybody has more time dedicated directly towards getting in actual results. It is more of a concrete system than just, you know, here's a bunch of cards. We'll see you later, right? <laughs> uh, we give them 
our design goals for the sets, like, hey, you know, these are the, you know, this is what we're trying to do, uh, right? And so they gave us playtest feedback. Something that's also relatively new, newer than Ivory Edition, in fact, is we have a playtesting uh, dojo where basically anybody who playtested before, they'll remember when you playtested, you basically just reported all your stuff into a forum post. And then we went through that forum post and we read all your, all your thoughts and your ideas and everything. And we counted for them. Then we read the next forum post and read all your thoughts and ideas. And then the next forum post and the next forum post. We're now... It's all gathered into a database. So instead of seeing Team Sacramento's forum post and the X number of cards that they that they decided to test and comment on, we instead see, okay, this card got tested or reported on, you know, seven times. And here's everybody's ideas of this card. And then the next card, here's everybody's idea of this card. And then the next card, here's everybody's idea of this card. And the fact that it is in a playtesting, it's in a database, we can extract information from it much easier now. If we want to know, okay, how did Crab do this week? Crab went 23 and 36 or whatever. It's like, okay, that's obviously not a good win record. Let's break this down even more. You know, how did Crab Theme 1 do? How did Crab Theme 2 do? How did Crab Theme 3 do? Okay, well, we see Theme 1 is actually doing pretty good. Theme 2, though, is really doing poorly. Let's focus fire on figuring out what's wrong with Theme 2. Why isn't Theme 2 doing better? Crab Clan Champion, you now know what you need to go to the playtesters with. Go to the forums and start talking to them. Say, okay, we see the Crab Theme 2 just really isn't pulling the weight. Why do you think this is? What do you think we could do to, in order to be making this better? It's really a, these new tools that we've gotten. Like I said, this is since Ivory Edition. Uh, we didn't even have these with Ivory Edition really allow us to get results in a better way, digest them in a much better way, focus fire our responses to them, and communicate directly with the playtesters what the issues are. And so the playtesters know that they are being heard and that they are being felt and all their work is not just going for naught, right? Uh, going into the ether. So. So, yeah, it's become a much more structured process that's allowing us um, to much better tackle the problems. These new systems, I mean, some of them we didn't have even have with 20 festivals, are really, really coming online nicely. I have one last thing. One of the extra challenges that you have as the Legend of the Five Rings lead designer is an extra level of attention devoted to balance in tournament results between different clans. And, of course, because sets are locked so far out, you don't have the ability to just look at, you know, you can't look at Kote season and go, oh, Spider, not really doing as well as we'd like. Mantis, doing better than we'd like to see. Let's just change stuff for Thunderous Acclaim. You know, that's... Right. Uh, <laughs> So, is there anything in particular other than just right, you know, paying attention to playtest results that you guys do to get as close as you can to the unachievable goal of magically balancing everyone perfectly? Right. So these new design tools and playtest tools and systems really help with that, right? So before we might have known that, as in my previous example, that Crab was twenty-four and thirty-six. 
that they're not doing too well, but it would have been very difficult to understand that it was, you know, the theme two or whatever, said my example, that was really dragging the numbers down and that the rest of it was actually pretty good, right? In, in previous times, it would have just been, okay, crab is dragging down. Let's make crab better. That helps, but that really isn't the best solution to the, to the problem here. You know, the best solution is identifying where the problem areas specifically are and being able to focus fire your answers on that. So with these new systems that we have and with these new tools, we're able to achieve balance better than we ever have been able to before. And this past Kotai season, obviously Mantis with the 15 wins was up above the rest of the pack. When you look at the rest of the numbers, as normal, there's people that are doing well or, or worse. But if you take out the outlier of Mantis, it's a pretty even spread. Uh, you know, it's like eight, seven, six, six, five, four, something like that. Where obviously we would like to get those numbers down to even everywhere. And that's going to ultimately be our goal. For adjusting on the fly, as you say, you know, by the time this Kotai season rolled around, Thunder's Acclaim and even the next expansion, Evil Portents, uh, were in the can. So, uh, what we can do is, well, we obviously closely monitor the results as they're happening. And uh, we have several different tools that we can use at that point. The heaviest of those tools, and the tool we use most reluctantly, is the errating or banning cards. We feel that it's never preferable for players to have their cards do something other than what it reads on the card. Right? Uh, so if if that is what needs to be done, then that's what needs to be done. But we try to use that as a last resort. Uh, what we did this year is we took a look at Mantis and we said, okay, this is a very powerful deck. It's got a powerful economy. But we do feel that there are answers out there and answers that maybe people are aware of, but maybe not everybody is aware of. And so, you know, Chris Medico, one of the design team members, did a great job of writing an article on the Mantis saying, you know, hey, you know, the Mantis are doing really well. Here are some answers that myself and other top-level players have been playing around with it that gives us some pretty good results. You know, what do you make of this? Why don't you try these out and see if this helps you? So we, we tried that first approach of just making sure that everybody was aware of the different different answers that were out there. And, you know, everybody could be could have been aware of it, and it still could have been a problem. And then if and if that was the case, we kept closely monitoring, and we were willing to get out more draconian methods of dealing with it, errata, ban, whatever it would have taken. Luckily, after that article did come out, it does seem that the Mantis, the Mantis win rate did drop pretty heavily after that. Of those 15 wins, I haven't looked. You might know because you put these numbers together. But I'm guessing that the major or, you know, a large quantity of those wins were before Chris's article than after Chris's article. That after he put out that article, they got down to where they were winning one a week. I don't think that they won more than one a week after he wrote the article. And I think in many weeks they didn't win any. So obviously still not the ideal solution, right? But we do feel that perhaps make sure everybody was aware of some of the answers that they did have an impact. If that had not had the impact that we were going for, yeah, you know, we were keeping close tabs. I know the week following Chris's letter, it like the letter came out on a Friday, so I'm not talking about the week immediate the Kotai season immediately following the letter, because obviously there wasn't much time to get testing in. But the you know, the the full week after that, you know, the numbers started coming down. But if they hadn't been coming down, then we would have 
you know, we already had a plan B in, off, in place. On We've been identifying what we thought the problems of the Mantis deck were, where the issues were stemming from, and we already had ideas in place. We already had a plan B backup in case it didn't work. Thankfully, it did seem to do the trick. We're going to have Thunders Acclaim out now, so we'll see how that shakes up the environment, shakes up the power of the Mantis deck. You know, now that Mantis Scouts are no longer directly supported theme, that was a year one theme. Particularly the Sheikah deck is not going to get the support that that the other decks in the environment are going to get since they're not directly going to have new scouts and stuff coming in. So that will hopefully allow other clans and other decks to take that step up to to better compete with them. But we're still keeping an eye on it. And if it uh, if it doesn't you know if it doesn't do the if things get skewed out again, we'll go from there. Yeah, that's unfortunate, like you say, is we're, cause we do test so far out and we can't just say, oh, okay, well, this is a problem. Let's get an answer into Thunder's Acclaim. And in a month, we'll have that problem solved. Or, you know, in the month, we'll, we'll be addressing the problem. We'll give people tools, right? The players are really smart. And if they have the tools to deal with the, to deal with the problem, they'll use them and the problems will oftentimes correct themselves. I think that was partly, probably what it was with the, with the mana stack is the environment just, it took a little bit of time to correct. And with the natural flow, the ebb and flow of how an environment went, it corrected itself over time, and then the dust sort of settled a little, and things balanced out a lot more for the Kote season. Sure, yeah. Four Mantis Kote wins after Medico's article. Most, maybe all of them, but but certainly most of them, not Chica Mantis. Yeah. So... Yeah, so 11 before and then 4 after. And I know that he wrote his article somewhere around the middle of the season. That's a pretty strong indicator that, at least in this particular situation, that writing that article did seem to have the impact that we wanted it to. So that's happy to hear. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, Brian. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can check us out more at www.strangeassembly.com you can subscribe to the podcast through an rss feed there or find us on itunes or stitcher if you use one of those services we always appreciate it if you leave a rating or a review that helps other people find the podcast you can find us on facebook at facebook.com slash strange assembly or follow us on twitter where we are at strange assembly I always like to hear from you directly, so feel free to comment on the post for this episode on the website, or you can email me. I'm chris at strangeassembly.com. But until then, for Brian Reese, I'm Chris Stevenson, and you've been listening to Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming.